It's time for JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. This is how you do radio in a professional sports town, and this hasn't been a professional sports town. It was just UNLV basketball for how many decades? Now you got the Raiders, and you got the Golden Knights. It's Big Boy Radio. JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? My radio show's a little bit more intense. It gets a little bit more crazy. It gets a little bit more emotional. It's Big Boy Radio. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you, coming to you live from the Raiders. Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, after the first of two practices with the Patriots. And we're here for the next two hours and should have a pretty busy show. Very fluid show. I don't know who I exactly have. Could have some special guests coming in. I got a Raider alumni, Mike McCoy, who played back in the day. Really good player. Back in the early days of the Raiders, uh, Vinny Bonsignor is supposed to step on up here and maybe a Patriots insider a little bit later on in the show. Everything is wide open today as we're getting what I think closer and closer to the end of the preseason where we get ready for the regular season. As soon as this game ends on Friday night and the Raiders walk off the field, the preseason is over and it'll be just a full focus on the Los Angeles Chargers and what happens for that game on September 11th. But there's a lot of unfinished business, especially the business of the Patriots today, where being at practice today, I have a couple of observations. First off, it is hard to watch practice. It's not easy. Under the Belichick world, it is not easy, which is not a knock on anybody. It's just not easy to watch. Uh, Sometimes the teams, the ones are on the other side of the field. Other times, some of the one-on-one drills are right in front of me, right in front of the media. Uh, just trying to keep an eye on the rotation of the players coming in and out is what I focused on today. Spent a lot of time looking at the offensive line and, and what they were doing. Good to see Colt Miller out there. You know, you don't see Colt Miller in the game. You see how big he is and poised and strong. Nice to watch him out there play. And Devontae in the one-on-ones against the Patriots, that was cool to see. His size and strength over the Patriots' corners. And then everybody else has different opinions. I watched practice with Eric Allen, the legendary quarterback and cornerback, and also George Atkinson, one of the greatest Raider defensive backs of all time, at different points. And they both told me, hey, it's hard to see. I'm going to watch the film, and I'll get back to you. Then those guys have access to the film. They'll watch the film and really look specifically at what they saw and what worked today. Greg Bedard is one of the best Patriot insiders, period. Here's what he tweeted out an hour ago. This is from his feed, and I tweeted it out at JT the Brick. He tweeted, Raiders have completely dominated both sides so far. First three Patriots snaps in team. Stuff, stuff, sack. Jones, five of nine and seven on seven. Henry reception, only one downfield. Offense looks deflated coming off. Carr slipes up the Patriots in seven on seven. Devontae Adams is unfair. More from Greg Bedard, Patriot Insider. Ready for this? It gets worse. Worst offensive practice of camp. Jones picked off to end awful two-minute. He was pissed and paced sidelines after. Run defense only positive today. Pass defense carved up by Carr. Adams and Renfro, no Waller. And then Greg Bedard, his final tweet. Great finish for Patriots D and offense. Defense stop Raiders thanks to Carr's overthrowing. Wide open Bolden in the end zone. Judon sack held. Offense got born TD from Jones to end drive that featured good completions to Henry, Myers, Parker, and Smith. 
one sack on drive really strong. So that's where we're at. This is a Patriot insider who knows the team a lot better than me, and he thought the Raiders dominated the Patriots today until the very end, until the very end of practice. Uh, Does that matter? Yeah, I think it matters. It's supposed to. You know, Josh McDaniels made it clear that he didn't want to prepare too much for this. He wanted the guys to think, have them think on the fly, not some over-analysis by paralysis. So I thought that was good today. They look really good, and that's the way it plays out. So if you got an opinion on this, there were no fights. It wasn't ugly. It wasn't two teams that hate each other. Uh, Vic Tafer tweeted out, and Tashawn Reed, I have a bunch of their tweets, Carr and Adams handled their business seven-on-sevens. From what I can see, Raiders' defensive line is winning on the field as well. I agree with that from Vic. I was standing with him for a little bit. Uh, Paul Gutierrez from practice 42 minutes ago. Initial thoughts? We could not really see Carr Adams' connection in Oh So Real. They put on a show, put them in a bubble wrap until the opener. Raiders' defense seemed suffocating Versus Patriots run game. So some of the tweets there from the Raider Nation. Derek Carr spoke. We will play that later in its entirety. Also, Max Crosby spoke. We'll hear what he had to say. Jonathan Hankins and Brandon Bolden also addressed the media. So for the Raiders here today, did they win the day? Yeah, they won the day. They won the day. No doubt about that. But it was tough to see. It really was tough to see. And there were a lot of players, you know, Deshaun Reed tweeted out the wall. It looked like something from Game of Thrones. The media, we're in our spot, and there's a field right in front of us. Then there's another field that has a wall of players. And then on the far field is where they were having, you know, the practice. So it was very tough to see, but good to see Bill Belichick. I got a chance to see Mike Lombardi, the father of Mick Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. There was some Raider family in attendance. Pretty tight crowd today. A very serious working atmosphere. You know, when I came through the gates today for practice, you can just tell that it was a little bit more intense, and it's supposed to be. This is the most important two days of the year for the Raiders in regards to the work that they're going to get with a good opponent. Now, I talked to another Patriot insider who's going to join us tomorrow, Phil Perry, and he told me, he goes, man, the Patriots don't look good today. And again, he covers the Patriots, I don't. So I can't tell you exactly who looked good or not. We'll have him on here tomorrow. But for the Raiders, there's a couple of topics that I want to throw out today in the opening to get you involved. One is Kenyon Drake on the release, pending, and what they're going to be doing here on final cuts. We're in that final cut moment. Then if you have an opinion on the last players who are going to make the team, what you want to hit on, go ahead and do that. When it comes to Kenyon Drake, let me just say this about Kenyon Drake. This is risk-reward. Kenyon Drake got paid to be a Raider. And there's been plenty of guys that have been here on the short term that got paid to be Raiders. Uh, I've nailed this when I told you Dave Ziegler's getting his guys in here. Kenyon Drake is a very good player. Now, for the Raiders, could that come back to haunt them? I don't think haunt them is the word I'd want to use. But, you know, I think this is a time where the Raiders have to make up their mind on who they want to be. And the key with Kenyon Drake is there could be one game this year, just one. And there could be a third and four. And Drake could be the guy who could catch that screen, and he's not here. And if he's the guy and they don't get it on third and four and they get two yards and stuff, you could go back and say, man, what would Ken Drake have done? But I know that Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels has built a running back room that is deep. And they took Zeus out of Georgia because he's going to play a lot. 
I really do think he's going to play a lot in short yardage, and he's going to spell Josh, and Josh is going to play hard. It looks like Josh Jacobs, as another coach told me, not on the Raiders, it looks like Josh Jacobs is a really well-oiled, kind of fast car that the Raiders are trying to get one more good year out of. That's what it looks like. They didn't pick up his option, so if they're going to run him hard to get the most out of him, that's great. It's going to be great for Josh because he's going to get a lot of production, a lot of touches, and it'll be good for the Raiders because if the Raiders think he's good enough to keep, they'll reward him with a bigger contract. If they don't think he's good enough to keep and they want to get rid of him and they want to use him really hard this year, I don't know if a Raider fan who has a problem with that. You know, get the most out of him here. But this running back room and wide receiver room is deep. And I think the final wide receiver will be interesting, interesting selection. One other quick storyline, Beth Mowens is here. She's a play-by-play voice for the Raiders in preseason on TV. And we were both looking at Max, Mac Hollins, who was in front of us, and he was doing one-on-one drills. This guy is big, fast, and strong. And let me tell you something quick about him, as Beth brought it up. She made a good point. Can you imagine in the red zone, depending on what the pass protection is going to be, do they have to leave, lead in, leave in a tight end? Are they going to have to leave in a blocking back? Let's assume they don't, and they're in the red zone, and Carr can go four wide and maybe have a back to protect. Say Josh stays in, and you got Waller and Mack on one side and Renfro and Devontae on the other. Devontae is an oversized freak of nature. Waller is one of the biggest freaks in the league, and you know Hollins is a big guy who can run a slant. He can run a fade. You can throw him a 50-50 ball. And it hit me all of a sudden. It hit me like a ton of bricks, excuse the pun. I think this is the year that Derek's got to be really comfortable taking chances in the red zone. Not dumb chances, not throwing it into double teams. But, you know, he's going to have an opportunity with Big Mac, as we're calling him, to sh- uh, <laughs> Darren Waller and Devontae Adams. If he's throwing off his back foot and he's about to get sacked, you don't got to throw the ball out of the end zone if you got me here. You don't have to throw it away. Now, he might want to wait for second down. But if it's third and goal from the seven and you got to score and he's kind of getting pressured and running, 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 rolling out, you throw that ball up like Montana did to Dwight Clark. Do you remember the Montana to Dwight Clark? One of the greatest plays ever. Montana rolling, Montana rolling. Vince Scully on the call, by the way. Vince Scully. Montana rolling and then Dwight Clark. They wondered if Joe threw it out of the back of the end zone. Who caught it? Dwight Clark at the top of his route, at the top of his jump of of his vertical. That's what these guys have. I saw it today in one-on-ones. They have three oversized guys, massively tall and big, who's really big, and that's what it's about. So when I look at this, I like what I'm seeing with the 50-50 ball and forcing the ball into coverage. Again, let me make this clear. You don't do it on first down. First and goal, if Devontae's double team, throw it out the back of the end zone, I'm good. But you can make these guys go out and make a catch. They've worked on it every practice I've seen. Every practice I've seen, they've worked on these toe taps in the corner of the end zone to make plays. Now the question for you in the Raider Nation, do you believe that Derek will have comfort and the ability to do that? In the past, it looks like Derek's the type of guy that really doesn't want to take a chance if he doesn't have to. He's got to take chances now. These guys are just too good. 
They are just that good, period. And I think this is, this is really important to me. Derek's got to now let these guys make plays. Because as we've talked about this throughout the preseason, Derek doesn't have the offensive line of Gannon, Stabler, Plunkett, Blanda, LaMonica. He doesn't. So that's a built-in excuse, not for Derek, but for Raider fans. Well, Derek doesn't have this. Derek doesn't have that. Too late. He's in his ninth year. He's got his toy. He's got his toy chest like a little kid. He could take out, you know, the army toys. He could take out the hot rods, whatever he wants. He's got all the toys in the toy chest right in front of him. Everything you could possibly want is right there at his hands. Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Matt Collins, Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs, catching the ball out of the backfield. No more Kenyon Drake. All right, no more Kenyon Drake, which is a nice luxury to have. And that's what he is. He's a luxury. Kenyon Drake is a luxury to have, and the Raiders no longer have that luxury. Is it the end of the world? No, he's a good player. We wish him well. Always wished. Everybody who leaves the Raiders, we wish him well. We wish him nothing but the best. Nothing but the best. So that's what I'm opening up with. Want to hear from you. Uh, lines are open again, man. I've been throwing the phone up against the wall to try to get better callers now like we have the best. We have the best when the regular season started, but I still got you know vacation dudes and vacation gals and people getting kids off to school, people getting one more, one more vacation in. I get it. And uh, I'd like to hear some people step up here over the next couple of days. Uh, one other point. The Alumni Weekend kicks off on Thursday. A lot of nice surprises coming up. That's why I came into the building today, other than practice, to meet up. And uh, they got me doing some cool things at the game on Friday, which I'm excited to be a part of. Always excited to be a part of that. So that's where we are as we open up the show, 702-365-9200. It looks like Derek looked really good today, solid. It looked like Mac Jones really struggled for the Patriots at times. Uh, The Raider defense, I I would say above average, clearly above average, and no doubt about it, the Raiders' first-team offense looked good up against the Patriots' ones. But is there a difference here? What did Belichick want to show or not? Those are only for the coaches to understand. Only for the coaches to understand when they look at the film because looking at the film here at practice is a really big deal. When you're looking at film and you're George Atkinson – and you're able to see exactly what happened in practice, you're able to talk about it. Uh, joining us to kick off Alumni Week and his former defensive tackle, Mike McCoy, who had a hell of a career. Uh, drafted by the Green Bay Packers, number two overall. He was the Packers Rookie of the Year, Man of the Year. He was a very accomplished player. And then he came to the Oakland Raiders from 77 through 78, and he is considered a highly valued alumni who's coming out again this weekend. How are you, Mike? Good to talk to you again. Well, I'm, I'm doing great. Pretty excited about coming out and uh, to see what's going on again out in Las Vegas. Mike, you were pretty emotional last time you were out here. Your name's on the board. You got a brick, a legacy brick. What did you take away from your recent trip out to Vegas when you saw everything for the first time here? Well, I was, uh, you know, I, I think as you get a bit older, you get a little emotional, you know, because you think about those things that, that you've had in your life and, and to be part of the radio organization for just for those two years uh, was uh, was quite a um, 
satisfying two years for me. And to see my name up with Kenny Stabler and Dave Rowe and Monty Johnson and a lot of my friends, uh, it was it was quite moving to see that and how they treated a guy who only played two years for the Raiders. Uh, even though they gave up a number one and a and a number four and a player for me to get me, uh, that was that was that was pretty special. And uh, I've always felt very very uh, accepted by the Raider organization, even though I only played two years. No, that's really familiar. I hear that story. I hear it from Ron Mix. You know, Ron, a Hall of Famer, and he's the same yeah. thing. He played most of his career with the Chargers. The Chargers yeah. don't do this. You play for the Packers. They do a lot of great things for their alumni, but to feel wanted, you were a big-time player in this league. What was it like for you coming out of Notre Dame? You went to the Packers after their dynasties in the 60s, and you come there. Uh, Packies, Packers Rookie of the Year, number two pick, if I'm right here, uh, selected behind Terry Bradshaw. What type of pressure was on you to succeed in such a great organization after a stellar career at Notre Dame? Well, you know, what can a defensive tackle do? But no, seriously, there was a lot of, a lot of pressure. But you know, I had it at Notre Dame, too. Same type of scenario at Notre Dame. Great coach, Eric Parsegan, four years there, national champions fighting for that national title every year, come into the Packers my rookie year, and uh, Vince Lombardi dies September 6, 1970, which was my birthday. And so we were in a transition period. We're kind of the new kids on the block. And then Dan Devine came in, and we won a Central Division title in 72 and almost got in the playoffs again in 74. So there was there was a lot of pressure. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, you know, you have to, it's a team concept, and we were, we were forming a great team. And unfortunately uh, – that championship team of 72, for some reason, the coaches got get rid of like 22 guys off that team. So we were never really the same team after that. But um, I remember in the 76, we're playing against the Raiders, and I think it was in Oakland, and probably had my best game ever as a professional football player against the Raiders in 76 when they won the uh, Super Bowl. And, you know, and then following year, I'm a Raider, and uh, thanks probably to Dave Rowe. Uh, he, yeah. he helped accomplish that trade for me. Uh, we're talking to Mike McCoy, who will be here for Alumni Weekend. Mike, take us through Al Davis. Obviously, Al Davis knew you well and, and knew where you were drafted and where you went to the Packers and gave up a lot to get you. What was that relationship like with Mr. Davis the early years? It was great. I mean, he was there every day, and uh, I didn't know much about Al Davis. Just what you hear about him, what you hear about him and what you saw in person were two different things. And he was a tremendous owner, tremendous players coach. I hate saying that. Uh, not a coach, but a player's owner, but he just wanted to win. And he had certain amount of rules, very few rules and just get the job done, which was, we were professionals and we were, you know, we had to take that responsibility ourselves. And then playing for John Madden the last two years was very special also. And, and of course, you guys remember the uh, fumble recovery in the 77 AFC championship yes. game. They said it wasn't a fumble, but we knew it was, and that could have changed the whole game around. So, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, my legacy with, with the Raiders is, is that fumble, um, and too bad it didn't turn into a touchdown because that would have been a 94-yard touchdown. But uh, it is what it is. And uh, Al Davis told me years later that he was in, a, he was in the box with Pete Rozelle, and they're huddling in the corner. He says, we're going to get screwed again like we did in Pittsburgh, and uh, I think they did. The Rob Lytle fumble. It goes down in yes. history. It's one of the biggest moments in Raider histories. In Raider history, another call that went against to Mike McCoy as we wrap it up. Mike, uh, can you spend more time on John Madden and the impact that he had? I've never, uh, I've interviewed you in the past, but I've never asked you about Coach Madden and what you took from his leadership. Well, he was a quiet leader during the week, and I was very surprised about that because we saw him on Sunday. He was very animated and very excited, and and he felt he had to do that to keep guys up on, on Sunday. But during the week, you know, it was a blue go. Let's get this job done. 
no yelling, no screaming. You know, we're, our practices were, were timed and we're, we weren't out there killing each other and, and leaving the legs, leaving our legs on the field, uh, rather than on the game on Sunday. And, and if you look at the Raiders 76, uh, one loss column and how much they won by is usually in the fourth quarter when the other team's a little bit tired because they're working so hard during the week. And, but, uh, but we worked hard, but we worked smart. And that's what I took away from John Madden. We spent a lot of time in the classroom and watching film. And, um, of course, it was a great team, too. I mean, how many, nine guys from that team went into, the, went into Pro Football Hall of Fame. So that was pretty special, too. And, Mike, finally, in your personal life, uh, ministries, your, your faith, your background, if I got this right, 14 grandkids. Is that, is that right here or is it grown from yeah. there? I mean, yeah, your well, faith and your life. Tell me about it. Though. What's going on in your personal yeah. life? Well, I've got 15 grandchildren, 15, so wow. Yeah, I've, I've, got an organ, I've got a ministry called Mike McCoy Ministries that we reach students in Catholic schools with messages of faith, hope, and encouragement. And um, used to do a lot of prison ministry with Bill Glass, used to play in the league and do a lot of public schools. But as you know, in the public schools of America, you cannot mention God anymore. So 12 years ago, I started my own Mike McCoy Ministries. And so we have a focused uh focused audience, and that's the students in Catholic schools with the message of faith, hope, and encouragement, especially in today's culture, what's going on. They, they really need it. We all need it. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, I look forward to seeing you. I'll come up, and uh, we'll have a nice conversation. There's a lot of events coming here, and I'll see you on the field on Friday. And thanks for doing this. You're such an important part of the organization. We greatly appreciate well, your time. Thank you. I appreciate that, too. Take care. You got it. Mike McCoy, former defensive tackle, great player. With the Packers, the Raiders, the Giants, and the Lions. Played from 1970 to 1980. The second overall pick in the 1970 draft. Mr. Davis loved him. Mark Davis loves him. He'll be a part of our alumni weekend. All right, when we come back, Vinny Bonsignor will join us in studio. He was at practice. He was at the press conferences. We'll get Vinny's opinion on everything that's happening with practice. There's another one tomorrow against the New England Patriots. These are two... Huge opportunities for the Raiders to get it done. We're brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. Man, I could have used an ice-cold Modelo today at PT's from noon to 2. Maybe I'll be there from midnight to 2 and 5 to 7 for the Best Happy Hour in Town. situations that you're looking for that may or may not come up in a preseason game, probably won't come up in a preseason game with the players that would most likely be involved in during the regular season. So those are all great opportunities for us. But just the fundamentals, working against another team, you know, a quality team like the Raiders, uh, working our fundamentals against, you know, against their players and, and uh, you know, what they teach is, is great work for us. That is Bill Belichick, JT, back with you. Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center brought to you by Doghouse Saloon. Inside Resorts World, head on out to Resorts World. Free parking, Doghouse Saloon, right where the sports book is. Follow the vision of Scott Sabella at Resorts World. Vinny Bonsignor joins us from Vegas Nation, our teammate here on Raider Nation Radio. So, Vinny, good to see you. And I'll start off, did it live up to the hype today? 
The parts that we could see, uh, <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, there was a definite segment of the practice that uh, was, was basically cut off to the media. But uh, there was a lot of work that we were able to, to take a good look at, including some 11-on-11 between the first team Raiders' first-team offense against the Patriots' first-team defense. And I felt like, and even talking to the New England writers, and there's an <laughs> army of them uh, yeah. out here, uh, as can be expected, the Raiders won the day. Uh, and the Raiders' offense – Gave everybody, I think, a glimpse of what it's capable of doing, uh, even without Darren Waller. Darren Waller didn't practice today. Uh, but there were some hookups between uh, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams in particular that if there was a crowd here, there would have been a lot of oohs and ahs uh, and a lot of cheers. So it kind of gives you an idea uh, of what's of what's capable um, for this offense, which has a chance to be prolific when you add in Darren Waller, because also Hunter Renfro was having a nice day as well. So, And that's against a comp- complicated defense that makes you work, uh, that makes you think, that isn't going to uh, you know, just easily hand things over to you. You have to work to, uh, for whatever you get against the Patriots, even in these types of settings. So for the Raiders to have a smooth, efficient day, for the most part offensively, I think is a really good sign. Yeah, Greg Bedard, who we both know yeah. basically said when it came to Devontae, it's unfair. Yeah. And we've spent a lot of time here at practice, you more than me, about these one-on-one drills with Nate Hobbs and the other corners, and Mullen hasn't been here for a lot of it. So Devontae's been going up against guys who aren't at the elite, elite level, guys who are kind of developing and trying to fight for a roster spot. It was great to see the Patriot beat riders today almost look on in awe seeing him up close. Yeah, and uh, he he has that tendency to do that, you know, and uh, it's, it's interesting about Devontae Adams because last week we talked to a couple of the younger wide receivers, DJ Turner and uh, Teron Johnson, and uh, their impressions in, as, in us asking uh, about Devontae is that the way he gets it done uh, is, is such a great learning tool for young wide receivers because it's not – he doesn't have blazing speed. He's not beating people with blazing speed. He's beating people with fundamentals, with technique, with intelligence. Um, I told this story on, on our radio show. Uh, I remember talking to a young power forward as in was Ed Davis, came to the Lakers. He had played for the Memphis Grizzlies and where, you know, Mark Gasol uh, and Zach Randolph, and he didn't get much playing time because those two guys were playing his position. And he told me, Vinny, I used to sit on the bench in practice or wherever in the game, and watch these two guys. They couldn't jump over a stamp. They were that unathletic, yet they, they were unstoppable in their own way because they beat you with technique, fundamentals, intelligence, smarts. And when you look at a Devontae Adams and how he was able to put everything together from a technical standpoint, it's a sight to see. And then when he is open and you know the ball gets thrown his way, he's got a, a you know great catch radius. He can catch it one-handed. He can make the spectacular catch, the easy catch, and he makes it look effortless. And we all know to make something hard look effortless means you are putting on in an incredible amount of work uh, behind the scenes to get to that point. I'm really high on, and I love the deal when he came here with Matt Collins and his ability to be a na- matchup nightmare. Do you see that more in the red zone with his height and ability to go grab a 50-50 ball or maybe on the other side of the 50 where he can catch a slant and go and break a tackle because of his size and strength? Yeah, I think in both areas um, he's going to be an asset. And you mentioned the red zone uh, area where, frankly, the Raiders have struggled uh, the last few years. Uh, to add him into the mix and his size and strength and understanding of the position and understanding of the offense, I think is 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 going to be uh, a great thing for the for the Raiders or potentially a great thing for the Raiders. Uh, but you know w- what you learn about this team now uh, and this coaching staff, so much of what they do is situationally based, and they find the right players to fit 
that particular situation. Uh, and so you'll may, maybe even ask yourself, why did that guy make the team over, over this guy? Well, maybe that guy um, excels in a certain area that they feel they need coverage in. They have to make sure that if it comes up, when that situation invariably comes up, we need somebody that we think is going to be tremendous in that area and be an asset in that area. It may be different than, you know, what other players are doing, but, but you know, so, th- so they cover their bases and they're so situationally uh, uh, based that they have an answer for every situation that comes up. And I, I don't necessarily think the Raiders always had uh, that the last few years. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes they did things stubbornly uh, rather than being a little bit more flexible uh, about how they approach a situation. Whereas I think this staff looks at it as whatever the situation is, we're going to have an answer for it, even if it means us being flexible, even if it means going away from whatever our perceived strength is. If this is what we feel we have to do to win this particular situation, we're going to do, we're going to do that, and we're going to be flexible in, in how we do it. Let's go to Kenyon Drake. Vinny Bonsignor joins us. What did you think about him before camp started, the beginning of camp, and now the pending release and the depth at that position here? Because I think it's a risk-reward. I don't think that Kenyon Drake was going to play a lot. It wasn't going to play more. But I know what he can do in a big play situation. And I think the Raiders are going to be in a lot of tight games this year against teams. And there's going to be a lot of make-or-break games on the schedule where he could have been an asset. Well, and I think that that goes to what we were just talking about in the terms of the situation. Uh, I think Amir Abdullah, mm-hmm. like, if you, to answer your first question, you know, uh, he was on my original 53, uh, Kenyon Drake. So this is a surprise. But one thing that, you, you know, you, you got to respect about this regime, and they said it and made it, ex- uh, uh, you know, abundantly clear from the get-go, jobs are going to be won by the best player and the player that they feel is the best fit. It has nothing to do with money. It doesn't have to do with draft, draft pedigree, um, how old you are, how young you are, your status, whatever the case might be. Um, it's That's going to be to the side. It's going to be the best man wins the job. And as, as training camp went on, uh, and we're dragging now into the fifth week of, of training camp, Amir Abdullah, frankly, just kept flashing, kept playing well, whether it was in the practice field, his chances that he got uh, in the preseason games. And he just made it an easy decision, basically, for the Raiders. You don't like to have to cut a player like Kenyon Drake. And I think if the Raiders had their preference, they would have found a trade partner uh, in order to get something back. He's going to land on his feet. He's a good player. Uh, but, but you know, um, the fact that they didn't, you know, uh, put money above the player that they thought the best player was, uh, I think is, is a good thing moving forward. And the other part of it is, you know, Dave Ziegler and, and Josh McDaniels going all the way back from day one uh, when they got here talked about building a, rops, a roster that created depth and competition. And they felt like that competition was going to drive this whole thing uh, and, and force everyone else to step up their level of play and create hard decisions that were going to have to be made, whether it was for starting positions or at the back end of, of the depth chart. That's what they wanted to create. That's when you build a great team, when you come down to it, and it's a difficult decision to make. And cutting Kenyon Drake, who I think everybody had on their 53-man roster, isn't an easy thing to do, but uh, that's what they wanted to have happen, and that's exactly what they've created. Many Monsignors, we wrap it up. So a couple of big topics. Let's get to the Derek Carr, Dana White scenario. You asked a question today to Derek. Important question, not so much for Raider fans. Raider fans aren't going crazy on this. Right. This is old news, but it was a massive national topic. Everybody right. wanted to talk about it. What's your takeaway from the whole thing, from Gruden, the loyalty to Carr, 
And when I hear Dana White talk about it, it was right at the finish line. Mm-hmm. And then Gronk agrees with that. Gruden blew it up at, quote, the last second. Mm-hmm. What can we put together after hearing all of these parties speak? Well, um, I think a, a couple of things. Number one, you know, anytime you're talking about Tom Brady, mm-hmm. who's a Kobe Bryant or a LeBron James, you know, he's, he's that level. Absolutely. He's that caliber. So, of course, there has to be a level of interest. You know, and I'm sure there was some allure, some intrigue, some, wow, getting Tom Brady here with the Raider. I mean, if we could get Tom Brady here into this building, of course, you're going to be thinking along those lines. You almost have to be. Uh, but I think what the point that people are missing is at the very end of the day, when it came right down to it, and obviously somebody in this building, whether it was John Gruden uh, or Mark Davis deferring to John Gruden, who he had put in charge of the football decisions, at the end of the day, somebody decided it's not the direction that we want to go in. And um, A, to me, that's a compliment to Derek Carr. Uh, so, so at the end of the day, Derek Carr remained on this team. But number two, if uh, whoever made that final decision, to me, showed um, uncommon discipline. Because I, I think I told you this uh, earlier uh, today at practice. I remember talking to a very somebody that I truly respect who runs his own team. When all of that was bubbling to the top, and I'm talking about in, in January of 2020 when all these – Tom Brady is looking for a house here in Las Vegas. He was spotted talking to Mark Davis at a, at a big fight, I think you it was. Seen, yeah. um, you know, I just texted, uh, you know, who I, somebody that I respect. Well, you know, what do you think about this? And the, the response was it would be a typical Raider move, but it would absolutely not be the right move. And his, his explanation to me, they don't have to make the splash move. They've sold all the tickets. They've got their building uh, built. Uh, they've got a great foundation in Las Vegas. It's time to just build a good football team and a football team that can sustain success. Tom Brady's going to – there's going to be oohs and ahs. There's going to be you know, uh, intrigue and interest. And, and maybe early on they, they win a couple more uh, games. But where is the longevity in that? And uh, where's the commitment to building something that is going to be sustainable rather than fleeting? Uh, and so at the, end of the, at the end of the day for me, John Gruden, Mark Davis, whether it was collective or whoever made that decision, to, showed great discipline in saying that would have been a great hoopla, great move and plenty of headlines and excitement and what a way to land in Las Vegas – But the right thing to do was to stick with Derek Carr and to continue building and moving forward. We talk about the right thing to do finally. When we think of the money, I go back to our initial time together when the Bank of America money (laughs) fell out, right? When the money fell out and the Bank of America money came in. Came in, right. And we were sitting there and it was – we both talked to sources that said, oh, they got that money. Right. It's like one phone call. Right. They can get that money. When you saw the Forbes list (laughs) that just came out and what the Raiders are worth now on paper Mm -hmm. and knowing they're worth more – if it was sold and Mark Davis isn't going to sell, it's it's not it's not incredible to me. It's beyond incredible. I knew that the net asset value was going to explode, but with the hookup with Legends and the real estate deal and what happened here combined, I mean, this is the perfect storm and example going forward about what a franchise could be worth if they move correctly. Yeah, uh, without a, without question, and in a smaller sense. We just heard from Bill Belichick, not once, but twice, twice, yesterday and today, talking about this facility that we're doing the show from right now. And he was glowing, beaming. And this is Bill Belichick, who is very, very reserved, uh, you know, uh, has, has economical or, you know, has a lot of great economy when it comes to his words. Right. He was going on and on 
about this. For somebody like Bill Belichick to be impressed with what Mark Davis and this Raider organization has built from this facility, the stadium, the surrounding area, everything that's going on for, for the Raiders. We talk about it from a uh, monetary standpoint, but people also notice. People are also realizing what uh, the potential here is for the Raiders and how special that is. And guess what? That's why Josh McDaniels decides when he had all sorts of other overtures from other teams – this is where I want to go. I feel good about the Raiders situation. It's why Devontae Adams, when you really think about yeah. the decision that he made, being in Green Bay, playing for Aaron Rodgers, a uh, chance to always compete for playoff spots, NFC Championship games, one step from the Super Bowl, decide, you know what? I like what's going on in Las Vegas and with the Raiders. It wasn't just because Derek Carr, his great friend, was playing here. There's something much more deeper than that. And we're starting to see it uh, on the football field. Obviously, the value, valuation uh, at, what, $5.1 mm-hmm. billion, dollars, yeah, uh, a 46 up. or 47% increase from last year. And think about this. That was the first year fans were allowed in games. That's going to continue now. And so I was told this. In, within five years, the Raiders will be making top five cash, rolling in cash. We're not quite there yet mm-hmm. because the pandemic obviously stunted things and it's still going to take a little while. But uh, provided they continue to play their cards right and they're playing them beautifully right now, uh, this is going to be a team that's going to be top five in revenue uh, in the NFL as well. And then the sky's the limit. With a minute to go, we both thought from the beginning they'd get a right tackle from another team. Mm-hmm not a free agent, who was sitting out there, sitting out there. That could happen, mm-hmm. but I've always said there's going to be cut downs. It's either going to be because a right tackle gets beat out in practice or it's a money situation and the Raiders are ready to pounce. How big of a priority is this coming off this upcoming New England game on Friday? Well, I think uh, these next two days, or excuse me, uh, t- today and then tomorrow, um, will go a long way in sort of determining the direction that they go. Because if Jermaine Illuminor uh, can show that he's capable of playing uh, a decent right tackle, then there's not the sense of urgency to go out and trade for or acquire uh, a right tackle. Now, my qu- and Thayer Munford is in that picture as well. He's dealing with something. It's unfortunate for him, the worst possible timing, because I thought he was headed in the right direction. Uh, but but I do think that there's um, a likelihood that the Raiders will bring in some tackle, whether it's to push a starter or to win that you know swing tackle position. I do think there's somebody out there, probably on somebody's roster right now, uh, that before too long will be on the Raiders roster. Uh, but I think they're going to give this one, just still continue to give this a fair chance for somebody on this current roster to prove that they're the starting right tackle for the 2022 Raiders. What do you have for remotes coming up? Let's talk tequila. What's going on with you over the next couple of days? Yeah, we're alumni weekend out here. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, that's a great weekend. Can't wait till Friday to see some of the. We have Jim Plunkett coming yes. on our, our show tomorrow. Uh, I think he's scheduled for 8:30 a.m. Uh, tomorrow morning. So the great Jim Plunkett, who should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Uh, Marcel Reese is going to join us uh, on the morning tailgate tomorrow. Uh, on Thursday, we're back at uh, Pub 365 uh, doing our thing. So all Raider fans are uh, invited to come join us at Pub 365 over at the Tuscany Suites. Uh, watch some football, the last pre-se- Thursday preseason football game before uh, the start of the regular season, which is right around the corner. It's hard to believe that we're saying that, uh, but it is here and I can't wait. 
Thank you, Vinny. Appreciate you making some time for us. JT, always a pleasure. Vinny Bonsignor joining us. When we come back, we'll get into what happened again today. We got sound coming in. We'll play Derek Carr in its entirety at the top of the hour. I have a Patriots insider joining us. It's a big show, all brought to you by Virgin Hotels. Virgin Hotels, the theater, all the concerts coming up, all the great restaurants. Head on out to Virgin Hotels, my spot here in Vegas. And these joint practices, I mean, this is these are they're great opportunities for us to compete against somebody else. Um, you know, I'm sure all of our guys are tired of doing one on ones against each other. They all know each other very well. They've seen the routes. They've seen the rushes. They've seen the pass protection sets. So they kind of know what to expect. So this is going to give our, our team an opportunity to compete against somebody new. Uh, to work our fundamentals and techniques against a different scheme. You know, we're not really going to go through a big scouting report about like, here's what we're going to see and here's what we're not going to see. Whatever happens on the field happens. So it's going to test our ability to communicate on the field and solve problems without really a lot of preparation, um, which is a great opportunity for us to test where we're at on that. Um, And just to, to go out and, and really test, you know, our where we're at, you know, in terms of our overall ability as a unit to perform, whether it's a special team unit, defensively, offensively. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit a lot of different situations in the next couple of days. Here uh, should be an opportunity for us to really improve our football team, and that's what we're looking forward to doing. The great soundbite by Josh McDaniels, JT, inside the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Was that Raiders' first day of joint practices today? Looking to get your opinion. Well, look, your fans, you're not here. Some fans, you can't get in on this. This is kind of like a really shut down and secure environment. I will tell you that, and I'm used to it. I like it that way. I love having this type of access when we are granted it. I always thank the bosses and the people involved for this opportunity. If I had to do the, if I couldn't do the radio show here today, I would have had to leave at 10 a.m. and head back and, and get to the studio. So, they opened up the studio for me today. Greatly appreciate it. Always humbled and appreciative of that. We'll have some Patriot insiders coming on. I wanted you to hear what Evan, or I'll read to you what Evan Lazar said. He is a Patriots.com. So he works for the Patriots. This is Patriots.com. So he's an insider. Here's what he wrote 43 minutes ago. Out of all the training camp practices I've seen since 2018, Devontae Adams today was the best of any wide receiver. The things he was doing was downright ridiculous. This session largely controlled by Vegas. They had the upper hand on both sides of the ball. Pat's starting offensive line struggled, but sequenced together a nice two-minute drill to end practice, one of their cleaner drives as of late. So what's happening today is, from what the media saw, and it was mostly local media, New England, Patriots media and Raiders media. It was insane what Devontae did. Evan Lazar again on the 11 on 11. After two Devontae Adams catches, the defense stalled. And Patriots offense continues to struggle. One good completion on a shallow cross. So everybody's looking at Devontae. Two hours ago, Evan Lazar. Devontae Adams is absolutely ridiculous. He just effortlessly made a one-handed catch 
while keeping his feet in bounds for a touchdown. Incredible player. So that's what we're seeing. I mean, Devontae won the day. Jalen Mills goes 0 for 3 against Devontae Adams in one-on-ones, including a fade that went for 30 yards and a touchdown. Patriots lose round one to the Raiders wide receivers. So that is the big takeaway today. So when you see a practice like this, someone's going to have an advantage. Someone's going to have an advantage. And the Raiders have the advantage today. And from doing this a while, I remember the Rams practice. What happened with that, how physical and the fights were. What could happen tomorrow, and I'm not predicting it, but what could happen is the Patriots are getting tongue-lashed right now by Belichick and the coaches. They are ripping them, they're showing them the film, showing them that they lost the day. And they're going to come back tomorrow looking for a fight or looking for respect. They're going to look for something to say that, hey, we're getting out of Vegas even. You all understand that, right? If they got beat today, which all of their beat writers are saying they did, and all the Raider beat writers are saying Vinny was just in studio, that they won the day, you know that the Patriots are going to be pressured by their coaching staff tomorrow to have a great day. And I expect them to have it. This is a well-run organization. And for me coming in today to see this, walking through the gates with some of the media, it was business, man. This was not, and camp is very serious under Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. But, you know, there's families here, fans. You've probably been out here. Today had a different feel. Today was like, turn your phone off, no, no video, just watch it and figure it out on your own. Belichick is in the building Josh McDaniels is in the building, and they take this very seriously. And I love that because I think the Raiders need that. They're undefeated, 3-0 and in the preseason. They need a test to practice. They got a test today, and they won that test against the New England Patriots. Tomorrow is a different day. The breaking news today is Kevin Durant is officially back with Brooklyn. They're putting all that to bed. So the, the Adrian Wojnarowski and Shamsharani broke the story that Durant is back. They agree that they're going to move forward together. Basically, the childish Kevin Durant, who wanted to have his ice cream and his cereal and stay up all night and watch movies and do whatever he wanted, got shut down. Joe Side, the owner of the uh, Brooklyn Nets, said, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Nash went to dinner with Durant, the owner, Joe Shy, his wife, Clara. They met with Durant and Rich Kleiman in Los Angeles yesterday. Uh, Bobby Marks, the GM, said that, excuse me, Sean Marks said that, the Nets GM in a statement, quote, we have agreed to move forward with our partnership. We are focusing on basketball with one collective goal in mind, building a lasting franchise to bring a championship to Brooklyn. Durant was bleeping shut down. Shut down by the owner, and he's still going to get four years, $198 million. Remember, LeBron just passed him all time. Durant was number one. Most money ever made by a basketball player. Durant will continue to play in Brooklyn because he lost his little toddler battle. We'll have the Derek Carr press conference coming up at the top of the hour, everyone.